I've listened to Master of Puppets by Metallica for almost two years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me, as you well know by now, is Connor. That's me. And this week, we're bringing you a little more heavy metal. I don't think we've done a proper metal album. About to say, what do you mean a little more heavy metal? This is like we're bringing it to you for the first time. (laughs) Not the first time. The closest I think we've touched is Avenged Sevenfold, but it's been a good 20-some, nearly 20 episodes since then. And I thought we were overdue. Yeah. So we're, we're walking on the heavier side of things this week with Master of Puppets by Metallica. Yes. Are you a big Metallica fan? Uh, I know all of their kind of mainstream songs, you know, uh, Inner Sandman, Nothing Else Matters, Fade to Black. Yeah. Those ones. So nothing on this album, really, except for Master of Puppets itself. Okay, so a lot of new content. One of the first times I remember hearing Metallica was when we were in an English class and our teacher played one for us. You know, the song about a man who's been handicapped by an exploding grenade and he's unable to speak and think and, and he's trapped in his own head. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, what a what a song. But anyway, that's my that's my first Metallica experience. And I have an uncle who's a big fan. So I've kind of branched out, started to explore a little more Metallica music. And I think Master Puppets is a great addition to the podcast lineup. Right off the bat, I just want to say Metallica is about the darn coolest name for a metal band there could be. Yeah, they're, they're kind of one of the first big heavy metals, I feel like, right? I mean, if not one of the first, certainly one of the most prominent over the last couple decades. They got to scoop up all the good names. <laughs> they got to pick. Yeah, they got to go first. No. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about Metallica, and actually I know a little bit about where they got their name. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get to it. Metallica was formed by lead vocalist and guitarist James Hetfield and drummer Lars Ulrich in 1981. Lars actually put out a newspaper ad seeking guitarists, and Hetfield was one of the guys who answered the call. They added bassist Cliff Burton to the band after hearing him use a wah-wah pedal on his bass guitar, which is... Sorry, a what? A wah-wah pedal. Oh, what is... Please. You know, for the sake of the audience listening, you might not know what a wah-wah pedal is. Why don't you enlighten them? Yeah, you might not know. <laughs> well, it's... it's So, it's a... First of all, let's start with pedal, right? It's, it's a little pedal that sits on the ground that you activate with your foot. Like a bike. No. Like a, like a guitar pedal. Oh, oh. And you, you rock your foot back and forth on it, and it makes the guitar make a sound that goes like wah-wah. Like a baby crying. Not wah-wah. <laughs> it's, it's more common for guitars. It's, just, it's not a thing you hear on a bass guitar a lot. And that really impressed the rest of the band members. So they said, let's get this guy. Let's snatch him up. Snatch him up for his wah. Y- yes. <laughs> Cliff was the bassist up through Master of Puppets, but... He passed away unexpectedly in a bus accident after the album's release. Mm, yeah, I saw some of that. Yeah, and he was replaced by Jason Newstead in September of 1986. And eventually, Robert Trujillo took over bassist duties for the band. For a brief minute, Dave Mustaine, future founder of Megadeth, was in the band, but he was kicked out for his drug use, alcohol, and violent tendencies. His replacement was longtime guitarist Kirk Hammett, formerly of the band Exodus. So that's Metallica. That's who they are. They come from Los Angeles, but they've spent most of their time based out of San Francisco. Either way, California guys. And Metallica's actually, they're considered one of the quote-unquote big four thrash metal bands, along with Anthrax, Slayer, and Megadeth. And a funny story, here's the part where we get to learn about Metallica's name. Uh, Lars Ulrich had a friend who was going to create a fanzine, this fan-created magazine about metal music. And he wasn't sure what he wanted to call it. He's, he was talking to Lars about this, and he's like, listen, I either want to call it Metal Mania or Metallica. And Lars hears this, and he's like, oh, Metallica is an awesome name. So he said, you have to call it Metal Mania. It's the greatest name in the world. <laughs> he hyped up the name Metal Mania so that he could steal Metallica. And it worked. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? What a story. <laughs> it was deceptive. There's something innately metal about stealing your name. So we're talking about one of the most popular metal bands to date. So obviously their award list is extensive. 
In total, they've snagged over 103 wins on nearly 170 nominations over the course of their 31-year-and-counting career, which is that's just a lot. That's a lot of numbers. 170 award nominations in 31 years. You can't beat it. They've been nominated for six American Music Awards and won two of them. They've been nominated for eight Billboard Music Awards and won five. They've won all 10 of their nominations for the California Music Awards, and they've been nominated for 23 Grammys. They won nine of them for things like Best Metal Performance, Best Recording Package, Best Rock Instrumental Performance, and more. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2009, and starting with their self-titled album in 1991, their last six studio releases have debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. (laughs) which is just an absurd statistic. Most impressive. It is. Yeah, we talked a little bit about other artists who have, uh, like Kanye West, I think, had a 10. He's tied for the record with 10 straight number one debuts. But that means six is no slouch. They've sold well over 125 million albums worldwide, and they've actually been the third best-selling artist since SoundScan started tracking that kind of statistic in the early 90s. So since the early 90s, Metallica is number three. You don't happen to know number one or two, do you? Not off the top of my head. Okay, well, we'll maybe find out someday. Maybe we will. And uh, last but not least, as far as accolades go, Rolling Stone put the band at number 61 on its 100 Greatest Artists of All Time list in 2011. Pretty wild to be number 61 of all time. Over their ongoing career, they've put out 10 studio albums and 8 live albums. And you remember... On the Gabrielle Applin episode, you made mention of the Velvet Underground. I did. I mean, yes, I did. I did. Well, so we were we were talking about the Pizza Underground. Gotcha. So the mixtaper made mention oh. of the Velvet Underground. Yeah, the mixtaper. That's taper, why I don't remember the it. The mixtaper told us all about Macaulay Culkin's cover band of the Velvet Underground. You know, the mastermind behind the Velvet Underground was Lou Reed. Yes. Metallica actually released a collaborative album with Lou Reed. It's called Lulu. And it was the last project Reed put out before his death in 2013. Hmm. And it's a really interesting collaboration. Um, it was mostly spoken word by Lou Reed over Metallica instrumentals. And it was met with uh, mixed reviews, to say the least. Yeah, I could, uh, I can imagine. Yeah, a very experimental <laughs> project. But that's right up Lou Reed's alley, you know. I just want to know if the Pizza Underground ever did anything related to that. Uh, it's possible. You'll have to ask the mixtaper. All right, I'll be right back. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Sorry, he's in his uh, pregame nap right now. I didn't want to disturb him. Oh, he does his pregame. So you have to go wake him up every time. Uh, No, his internal clock is just set to when it's time. He naturally wakes up. Oh, he just knows. He has like a sixth sense for it. I didn't realize the mixtaper was a little Napster. <laughs> and speaking of Napster, I mean, you're old enough to remember music sharing sites. I hate that. Because I can see that coming up in the notes. And so when you said that, I knew exactly what you'd done. I hate that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, you remember like uh, like LimeWire and Napster? Uh, they were actually a little before my time when I ca- before I started really caring about music. Okay. Like, they were during my time, but I didn't really care about music back then. Sure. You didn't really care about music until 45 episodes ago. Oh, uh, it's a little <laughs> rude, but not completely unbased. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so metallica was actually really famous for standing up against file sharing and music piracy like that and specifically against napster they led a suit against them for sharing copyrighted content without permission this all came about because in july of 2000 they found one of their songs getting radio play before it was released it got leaked on the site the upcoming single, as well as their entire catalog, was just sitting there for anybody to download and have. No. And they did not like that. They settled the case after Napster was almost purchased by BMG, but Napster would go bankrupt within two years, and that sale was blocked by a judge. Oof. So Metallica is a big player in the anti-music piracy game. That's cool. It is cool, yeah. That's enough about Metallica. Let's talk about Master of Puppets. It came out on March 3rd, 1986, and it's Metallica's third studio album. It peaked at number 29 on the Billboard 200, and many people consider it to be one of the most influential thrash metal albums of all time. It went a whopping six times platinum by 2003, selling over six million units in the USA, and it was the very first metal record to make it into the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry. Added to the list. It's on the list. 
And it's also on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list at number 167. IGN called it the best heavy metal album of all time. I mean, it's certainly got some acclaim. Yeah, I have a question. Yes. Uh, Where was this album recorded? Glad you asked. (laughs) This album was recorded in Copenhagen, Denmark, the home country of Lars Ulrich. They were actually, this is a fact that blew my mind and I had no idea about. They were in talks with the bassist and vocalist of Rush, Getty Lee, to produce this album, but that never came to pass because of scheduling conflicts. I mean, I cannot imagine what Master of Puppets produced by Getty Lee would sound like, but that's incredible. Maybe for the best, because look how well that did not being produced by, by him. It's true. Yeah, fair point. Another interesting tidbit about their recording practices is that the band was kind of known for their heavy drinking, but they were really, really diligent about staying sober on recording days because they wanted to really refine and perfect this album. With the success of their first couple releases, they really started to get picky about the sound they wanted, and they wanted to make everything just right, so they sobered up as they recorded it. Master of Puppets did not actually earn any of Metallica's Grammy nominations, but their next record, And Justice for All, is the one that kick-started their Grammy career. When they were creating this album, they already had the title for it in mind, and they built all the songs around that idea. Mm. So conceptually... This helped a lot with, like, focusing their vision for this record. You know, they were able to bring everything back to that Master of Puppets metaphor, the general idea. As far as songwriting goes, they said that to make each song, they started by creating a guitar riff. They said it was assembled and reassembled until they started to sound like a song. And then once they had all the guitar riffs in place, they'd give the song a title based on what it would sound like and how it would relate back to that theme of Master of Puppets. And then once it had a title, Hetfield would write in the rest of the lyrics. So it's kind of a backwards uh, songwriting process, but the results are are pretty interesting. Interesting indeed. Yeah, well, I think it's time... Well, hang on, actually. Oh. I have something to contribute to this first half of the episode for once. Oh, I thought we were going to go wake the mixtaper up, but I guess not. Yeah, I've. Uh, it's been a while, but I've got some new commissions from the art department to share with you. Art department? Ooh, I'm very excited to see new art department commissions. We haven't had one of those since the reveal of Spinny in episode 18. Yes, it's been a bit. Here a few episodes back, we did the album of the year Grammy winning John Batiste album. We, we are. are. Yes. And that got me thinking, you know, I was a bit jealous of like the Grammy trophy that everybody gets and everything. I felt like I gave him a Spinnin' award and I didn't have a trophy to give him no you're right and so i commissioned the art department to design a spin it award trophy yeah that we can start slapping down and this is what it looks like we have a spin it award trophy we do now oh i love it (laughs) it's so good it's a classic little trophy stand like with a spot for the plaque and everything at the bottom and then it's a golden spinny standing on top of it. Yeah, that's that's lovely. Now we can start giving out actual <laughs> trophies with our awards. I, I love it. I love it. And we're absolutely going to have a section on the website that becomes like a trophy room. <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted. So I've got it on the same page. Now we can transition to Factor Spin. Yeah, wow. What a transition that is. Yes, go check out our socials. That feels very official. You know what? I'm going to give the art department the best Spin It Award award. It'll be the honorary, the first bestowing of this award. Oh, the first, the first one, the first one to receive a trophy is the creators of the trophy themselves. That's right. Well, shout out to you, art department. Heck yeah. So the mixtaper should be waking up from his afternoon nap. Is that right? Uh, yeah, he's actually a little grumpy because he, he had, the sixth sense went off when you tried to transition and then I cut it off. And so he woke up a little prematurely. Oh, no. Uh, so yeah, let's just get him over here. Yeah, let's. It's me to mixtaper. Let's go. Good morning. Sorry. Sorry about ah. that. I didn't know that was going to happen. Ah, it's not your fault. I'll blame the one that interrupted. Good. Yeah, please do. Well, let's just jump right on into it, shall we? With fact number one. Yeah, I'm excited to see what you've come up with for Metallica. They hold a Guinness World Record. Mm, very vague. Very vague. I have no trouble believing that they do. What's this world record pertaining to? Is it a performance record, a sales record? Performance. Okay. What record might that be? Is it regarding expense? Is it regarding size? Is it regarding number of performances? I would say number of performances. Okay. Well, we talked about 30 Seconds to Mars a couple of episodes back, how they had a Guinness record for the most shows performed for an album cycle. I could ask, 
is this this all day i probably should just say what is what is the record in 2013 the band went on tour and ended up performing on all seven continents in one year becoming the first band to do so all okay so six of those continents easy peasy sure i'm, I'm all in there's a seventh one what was the occasion for their performance yeah. in antarctica they just wanted to do it. They just, oh, to get the record. They just wanted to be the ones that did it. No, no, not even. They didn't even realize that they had set a record. And they said, and I quote, good thing someone was paying attention. Incredible. So I suppose all the other shows were just part of their normal touring and nothing kind of out of the way. Whose idea was it to go to Antarctica and do a concert for penguins? <laughs> I don't know whose idea it was, but I know they partnered with Coca-Cola and there was like a big sweepstakes that you could win tickets to go on an Antarctic cruise that one of the stops was at their concert. So you just roll up on your Antarctic cruise ship, you get off on the dock, and Metallica is just like there, I mean, ready to play you some songs. Yeah, I mean, that's better than how they rolled up. Okay, how did they roll up? Well, in a quote about the experience, they said, I believe this is Hetfield uh, saying this, I feel very fortunate to have been a part of that. It's not every day you pass by whales in an inflatable raft to get to work. We were solar powered and we were not allowed to make the kind of racket we're used to with speakers. We kept the disturbance to the environment to an absolute minimum, including noise pollution. And as it turns out, the penguins are not too keen on metal. No, they're not. They didn't mosh. No, they uh, they played a show for 120 scientists and contest winners and 300 very curious penguins, apparently. 300? Pe the penguins outnumber the scientists <laughs> nearly three to one. Apparently. Wow, that's awesome. But is it true? I, I like to believe this. A lot of bird facts lately. You're, you're really <laughs> on a bird fact thing with the chicks and the condors and the ostriches and the penguins. I think I'm going to say that this one is true. This is a true fact. <laughs> ah, the penguins yes. got to hear Metallica. Mellowed down Metallica. They didn't get the full. Maybe they would have enjoyed the metal experience more if they'd been able to go all out. Yeah, they probably waddled up and were like, oh, this sucks. And just like slid on away. <laughs> yeah, this isn't nearly as metal as I anticipated it being. This seems watered down. Did they do the happy feet thing? You know, just start dancing. <laughs> They're actually not the first band to attempt this either. Oh, really? What other bands have tried? In 2008, Fall Out Boy attempted it on purpose to hit all seven continents. But due to bad scheduling and weather, they had to cancel. <laughs> That's really interesting. Now, do you think that makes penguins the species that has heard Metallica the second most out of out of everything? Interesting. Probably not, just because of the number of dogs and cats that have heard it like on speakers in their owner's house. Okay, but what about like live? I bet I bet penguins are the well, live. Yeah, I bet you pe penguins would take it live. What a weird fact. Penguins <laughs> are the species that have seen Metallica live the second most. Hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically. You heard it here first. We're stating it is fact, but we don't know it's fact. Prove us wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. And with that, fact number two is that James Hetfield has his own brand of honey. Honey. Oh, sweet. <laughs> He's got his own brand of honey. Yes. Does he have a special like apiary where the bees make it for him? Is it from a specific source? Yeah, it's from hives located on his ranch in West Marin, California. Oh, he keeps bees. Yeah. James Hetfield is a beekeeper. Does he tend to them himself or does he have people that go do it? He tends to them himself when he's around, but I'm sure he's got people that watches them when he's doing other things. Playing for penguins? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How did he get into beekeeping? I don't know the specifics, but I know it's a more recent hobby of his. How many bees does he have? Quite a few. I don't have an exact number, but I mean, think about one hive is... Quite a lot of bees, typically, and I know he has multiple hives. And how much honey does he produce every honey season? Could not tell you. Oh. I do know he gets two different kinds of honey per season. There's kind of two main harvesting seasons, I guess. Oh, yeah. A spring harvest and a fall harvest. I learned a bit about beekeeping. Yeah, I'm sure. Going down going down this fact rabbit hole. So yeah, he usually harvests in the late spring and in the late fall. So what are, what are the different kinds of honey? They just taste different? Yeah, two distinct flavors. The spring harvest gets its flavor from a variety of flowers, such as the California poppies, shooting stars, sky lupin, buttercups, and thistles near his property. Thistle honey sounds sharp. <laughs> and the flowers make that honey richer and lighter, more of a fruity 
flavor to its end texture. Whereas the fall harvest is darker and more like molasses and is heavily influenced by the California buckwheat, which blooms in late summer after all the spring vegetation has dried up. Interesting. Does he just keep it for himself? Does he try and sell it? You know, what's it going for? I don't know necessarily what he does with the majority of it, but I do know that he occasionally auctions it off for charity purposes. That's cool. Yes. In fact, just here like a year or so ago, he sold two bottles that were signed by him, one from each of the harvests. And they went for $3,100 a piece in the charity auction. Whoa. They were little two-pound bottles. Three grand, honey. That's liquid gold. Yeah. He also has his own custom logo on the front of it that he designed himself. Really? Ooh, I, I can't wait to see what it looks like. Well, that's what I'm telling you. I think this is a spin. Oh! I think this is a spin. You went all facts with Johnny Cash. You went a fact earlier with the Penguins. I think maybe this is one of those facts that's true about another artist we've got coming down the pike, but maybe not about James Hetfield. You did a lot of research on honey, the California buckwheat thing. That all makes sense. Just for some reason, for some reason, this one is... I'm thinking spin. Hmm. Well, you're thinking wrong. This is a fact. Oh, really? Wow. Hetfield Honey. Betalica. Yeah, he's he calls it Hetfield's Haunted Hives. Ha- haunted? Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I think it's just a fun name. Haunted Honey. So good you won't be leaving it. Yeah. Oh, boo. I hate what? that. <laughs> James Hetfield, hire me. <laughs> I could be your honey marketing department. We need one of those. No, we don't. That's the least true thing you've said. You're a liar, and that's the least true thing you've ever said. Well, if we get the marketing department and get people interested, maybe we can crowdfund enough money to actually start our own Spin It Honey. Spin It Honey? You know, like Kickstarter it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know how many times I listen to a podcast and I go, man, I wish they sold honey. I'd love to support this podcast by buying honey from them. <laughs> Coming soon to the Spin It store. I don't know how you're going to ramp up your facts from here. I mean, the the penguin one is, is wild to think about. Well, you ramped that one up farther than I anticipated. Uh, that one got a premature ramp. I guess it did. Now, we're going to we're gonna plateau here for just a moment and say that the band also has a brand of whiskey. Ooh, what's it called? It's called... It's called Blackened. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was called Maltalica or something, <laughs> but I guess not. Blackened. Okay, that's a pretty hardcore name for a whiskey. The pun is coming in a few more questions, don't worry. Oh, okay, there was a pun to get to? Yes. How long have they been making it? Since 2018. Oh, another recent development. How'd they get into it? What inspired them to try and make whiskey or brand themselves on whiskey? Uh, Well, as you said, they're pretty known for their drinking, and so they wanted to have their own brand of drink. Sure. Blackened is a brandy barrel-finished American whiskey produced by Sweet Amber Distilling Company in collaboration with Metallica. Okay. Blackened is a blend of sourced bourbon and rye aged for about eight years that has been, and I quote, finished in black brandy casket to the lower hertz frequencies of Metallica's music through the Black Noise TM sonic enhancement process. No way. So you're telling me, you're telling me they put this whiskey into a barrel. And they play Metallica for it <laughs> as it ages. Yep, consider this fact ramped. What? <laughs> what? It's like the only comparison my head is making is when, like, you know, uh, in pregnancy, people will play will play music for their babies. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought of. Does it? What is the science? So essentially what this means is the whiskey is dumped into charred Spanish brandy barrels that then are blasted with Metallica's chugging power chords and quick-fire drum riffs to vibrate the liquid and increase the interaction between the wood and the whiskey, thereby picking up more flavor and color. Wow. And so that's scientifically, maybe not to Metallica specifically, but just uh, agitating the whiskey with sound waves is like a scientific thing then. Yeah, well, just agitating it in general is typically done. The sound waves is the... It's just it's just a gimmick. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, the jury's out on whether or not it's a gimmick. Like, technically, yes, because they are agitating it with vibrations, they are doing what they're saying. Whether or not it's doing it in any sort of special way from just normal stirring or shaking is jury still out on, from what I've read. Sure. Can I can I get like a custom whiskey? Like if I had enough money, could I go and say I only want this one to listen to For Whom the Bell Tolls, <laughs> or I only want this one to listen to Fade to Black? You think they'd taste different? I guarantee, if you had enough money, you could absolutely do that. And I think if they would taste different, is exactly what this Black Noise TM proprietary process is aiming to to do. Oh my goodness! What if we 
started making whiskey, but played our podcast episodes into it, and it would taste like us. Yes! No, no, no. <laughs> and there's going to be a specific flavored one that's just called, uh, like, the Mixtaper brand, and it's just subjected listening to the Mixtaper go, hey, and yeah, over and over. <laughs> over and over? <laughs> I never knew this about whiskey. That's awesome. Uh, they actually just recently introduced a second limited edition flavor, and here comes your pun, called Ride the Lightning. Ride the Lightning. It's a blackened <laughs> Kentucky straight ride double cask finished whiskey, aptly dubbed Ride the Lightning TM, inspired by Metallica's six times platinum sophomore album, Ride the Lightning. This welcoming limited edition rye whiskey is double cask finished using Madeira and rum casks. Our proprietary Black Noise TM Sonic Enhancement process utilizes a playlist consisting solely of a live recording of the Ride the Lightning portion of Metallica's June 2012 Orion Music and More Festival setlist. The only time the band has ever played the album live in its entirety. <laughs> wow, what a special, bizarre thing they can do to ramp up the cost of your liquor. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is... Almost certainly true. If it's not true... If I wrote that entire marketing thing myself, that's impressive, right? It is impressive. That's what I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. It had a lot of specific info about whiskey. Apparently, you can get a bundled Rye the Lightning and regular flagship blend blackened set two bottles of whiskey for approximately $120. And yes, this is a true fact. This is true. <laughs> Amazing. Very bizarre. I would never have guessed this. Coming soon to a spinet store near you. Spinet whiskey and honey. <laughs> yeah. But I got one more for you. And now you see, we had the crazy premature ramp of the penguins. Then we had the honey, which was, it was all right. But then we ramped up with the sound whiskey. One last major ramp for you. Okay. And that's that Lars Ulrich commissioned a toilet made to his likeness. <laughs> I'm, I'm speechless. <laughs> Okay, so he commissioned this toilet in his image. Yep. So I, I, in my head, it's a bust, right? From the shoulders up. Is that really what it is? I mean, it's full body, but... It's full body. Yeah. Is it, like, life-sized? I mean, pretty much it's a fully functioning toilet. Okay, yeah, but, like... <laughs> I don't... It's so hard to describe this. <laughs> so it's a fully functioning toilet, and it's his full body. Is he standing up? No, he's sitting. He's seated, and so what you do then is you sit in his lap. You would like be—he'd be like big spooning you. Yeah, pretty much. You sit in his lap <laughs> and do your business into his lap. Uh, it'd be more like he was sitting behind you, like if he was riding, like on a motorcycle. How you can have like somebody sitting behind you? Oh, or whatever. Oh, he's like on the on the tank of the toilet, and it's got a normal toilet seat. Uh huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's a very different vibe. Still weird. <laughs> Not by much, though. So did he commission this for himself as, God forbid, a gift? Yes. What's the deal? <laughs> no, it was for himself. It's for his own home. The toilet is shaped to look like him holding a pair of drumsticks. What a tacky piece of decor. <laughs> I can't imagine. What if you walked into someone's house and their toilet was just like them doing their job? Like, I don't know, your friend... Steve, the accountant, is, like, sitting there crunching the numbers above you while you're trying to go. Number two. I can't. This is weird. Is it just a normal toilet, like, made out of porcelain? Is it special, like, material? Is it colored at all, or is it just the shiny white? No, it's colored. It's, like, painted. It's painted skin tone, creepily enough. All skin tone? Wait. So, like, the toilet itself, and then there's him with matching skin tone for his arms and legs and face, and then he's in a black Zara's Ultric shirt holding a pair of red drumsticks, and he's got long hair and green eyes. And So, I mean, basically, it's just a porcelain model of what it would look like if he sat on the back of a toilet. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Why did he do this? Why did he want this? It's because he read a blog where the blogger called Metallica the master of poopers due to how bad their music stank, and he thought it was funny. Really? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's no reason to commission a toilet. How much money did he waste on this? I have no idea, but it couldn't have been that cheap. No, it can't. I mean, a custom toilet? I don't even know where I would start to 
look for a custom toilet. Like, I don't know who the first person I would contact. Coming to a spinet store near you. Honey, whiskey, and custom toilets. <laughs> this is really something else. Have other people that have visited him have anything to say about it? Like, what's what's the general opinion? Well, he just got this made sometime in the last year. Wow. It looks like November 2021. Oh my gosh, it's, it's brand new. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I would recommend is never install a bidet. <laughs> so... Uh, this is ridiculous. How am I going to let you get away with telling me this lie? <laughs> what if this is just a lie that you just made up? Because <laughs> why would anyone ever do this? It could be. No, no, I'm flushing this one down the drain. This is this is not true. This is a spin. Don't a spin. Yes. All right, go ahead and take a look in the chat, please. Ah! At this spin. It's a spin. This is indeed a spin. It's a real toilet, but he did not make this for himself. That's the spin. This is a real toilet, though. It is a real toilet. It's just not his. All the details are true, <laughs> and it's horrifying. Oh, boy, it's it's bad. It is not professionally done. It is horrifying horrifying yeah yeah that's a no-go from me well look for that one on socials uh you'll see what that looks like oh there's this music like blog i found that picked this up from the person who made it and their start of their article just warning this cannot be unseen oh god my eyes for the love of all that is holy why would you do something like why this? would you do something like this <laughs> very interesting and very not unseeable <laughs> You are now cursed like I am with that information. Yep. Thanks. Anyway, let's uh, let's put that behind us, far behind us, and uh, we will not see you next week. Next week is our singles episode. Please submit your singles quickly. You won't be playing Factor Spin. We'll be playing Guess Who or Spin. That's correct. A uh, whole different game. Whole different game. I will see you next. Where does he flush? <laughs> I don't know. Like on his shoulder. I don't want to know. Anyway. I'll see you next week with hopefully less horrifying facts and spins. Yeah. yeah or, or guess who's and spins. Ah, yes. Yeah, we will see you next week. Go get a good nap in. Finish up that sleep that I deprived you of. Uh, the nap's only pre, pre, pre-game. It's a pre-game nap. You can pre-game for next week. Oh, good point. Go into hibernation for a whole week. You could try it. Yeah. Welcome back, Connor. Back indeed. Don't look in the Discord. Don't look at the picture. Okay, I will. I will not look. Just, oh, God, I looked. <laughs> save yourself. <laughs> it's horrifying. It is. So let's talk about a less horrifying piece of art. The album cover of Master of Puppets. Yes. It is. I mean, nothing short of absolutely iconic at this point is, is pretty well known. It's a field of white crosses in a, in a graveyard, you know, like the kind of crosses that you give to soldiers. One of them has a helmet hanging off the edge of it. And there are a bunch of strings going up to hands controlling them in the sky like a master of puppets yes yeah this art was designed and conceptualized by the band and their manager peter mensch and it was painted by don brodigam who did a lot of work on book covers Hmm. so he's really good at telling stories with his artwork which is kind of what this is yeah it's a story contained in this one picture everything down to the details of like the fact that it's like a red hued sky you know cloudy sky all in red and orange and yellow makes it ominous very ominous and like the all the all the like weeds that are growing up through it are like brown and dead looking yeah those are gonna make you the molasses honey (laughs) i think honestly i couldn't conceptualize a better cover for this record top notch but that said let's talk about these eight tracks it's a long album small amount of tracks long time stamp (laughs) (laughs) long time stamp is right yes the shortest track on this album is like five minutes and 12 seconds long And that's Battery, the opener. They forgot to charge them ahead of time. That's why it's so short. Is that it? The batteries died. That's kind of the opposite of the point of the song. Oh, that's fair. (laughs) Battery is a prime example of thrash metal, if not the song that kicked off the entire subgenre of thrash. It's also one of Metallica's favorite opening songs for their concerts, and it's pretty easy to see why. It is very high energy, Mm -hmm. and it's a song about having energy it guides you into the headspace you need for the album right it starts off with that softer guitar solo and then kicks itself up a notch yeah it does right before it kicks itself up a third notch to go into the verse it's a great progression and a great way to build the intensity as you get into this song in this album it takes you from zero to a hundred yeah it sets you up perfectly the song is actually a tribute to metallica's fans who are 
the source of their energy, their battery, but also Battery Street is a San Francisco street that's home to a lot of clubs that Metallica would play in their early days. It charged them up, it kick-started their career. Oh. James Hetfield said, it felt like home, this is where we got our energy, that, that Battery Street circuit. So it's a, it's a double reference. Is it just me, or are the lyrics kind of meh? Um, yeah. No, it's not. It's just you on they're, this one. They're, they're kind of they're kind of just meh, right? The problem you run into with this one is that the way that they're sung is far from meh, and it's so high energy and so engaging that yeah. it's really easy to overlook. But when you sl- like to be in this context, devoid of all the music, and just to say smashing through the boundaries lunacy has found me and, and they have a specific way of writing their lyrics that's kind of just meh for me and we'll see it on a couple other songs where they do this thing where they give you like the line will be two kind of disconjointed phrases like hypnotizing power pause crushing all that cower pause you know like they're like two disconnected thoughts that they're putting together they do do that yeah that's part of their recipe and i mean sometimes some of these lines go a little out of their way to make the rhymes. Hungry, violent seeker, feeding off the weaker. Like, to, to be yep. a violent seeker. That's not like a, a natural combination of words. Mm-hmm. They've kind of Frankenstein that phrase together. Whipping up a fury, dominating flurry. Yeah, it's just sometimes some things that rhyme. Yeah. That said, though, I mean, they do use a lot of buzzwords. Destruction and powerhouses and aggression and obsession and... Crushing. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Battery! <laughs> That's exactly what it is meant to instigate. I mean, they nailed that. And I love all the different instrumental breaks that they throw in on this song and throughout the album. In my opinion, I mean, I will explain it better in Final Spin because this is going to feel disconnected. I think their instrumentals are a lot of what makes this album. Yeah. Their guitar solos and their creativity in the instruments department is really unparalleled and i think it far surpasses lyrics oh absolutely i like battery batteries i think one of my favorite songs on the album Mm. and it's obviously one of metallica's most popular songs period let alone off this record but not as popular as master of puppets (laughs) not nearly as popular as master of puppets no track number two the title track They've played this song live over 1,700 times, making it their most played song ever. It clocks in about 130 plays ahead of Creeping Death and 150 ahead of For Whom the Bell Tolls. Okay. And for comparison, Orion only has like 70 plays. So 1,700 live performances of the song is incredible. Yeah, it's the only song I knew off the album before listening to it. I mean, same for me. I've just listened to the album longer. Yeah. But this is one that I knew outside the context of the record. Right, exactly. I don't know, to me, it's still No, Nothing Else Matters. Oh, wow. Nothing Else Matters is my favorite Metallica song. Interesting. And one of my favorite kind of rock. I know that we're in heavy metal, but that's like rock adjacent. It's like one of my favorite rock ballads. Interesting. I really like Nothing Else Matters. I was sad we weren't doing whatever album that's on. <laughs> See? Yeah, you don't even know what album it's on. <laughs> Don't need to. I was a singles guy before this podcast. Master of Puppets is a song about drug addiction and falling into this pattern of drug abuse where they take control of your life and, uh, quote unquote, pull all your strings to affect your behavior. So, I mean, it's a very obvious kind of metaphor that's at play here where all of a sudden your life is out of your own hands because everything that you do is dictated by where you're going to get your next fix and what kind of drugs you're on and, and stuff like that. See, and they still they still kind of do it here, less so. more They only do it really on the couple of verses that are widely spread apart in this song. The first thing you hear is end of passion play, pause, crumbling away. It's that same structure, and it's like... These little, yeah, sentence fragments. Yeah. It's very fragmented and disjointed. Doesn't lend to making good lyrics, in my opinion. Not necessarily. But it does, I guess, lend to that energy that they're going for. It's a sense of urgency that comes with not ever having a complete thought and being hit with, you know, impassioned buzzword after impassioned buzzword. And it does work. I mean, they work their way into it. Veins that pump with fear, sucking darkest clear leading on your death's construction. I don't know. Uh, They get into some good lyrics here. And this is maybe their strongest lyrical song on the album. It's definitely up there. I'm thinking of one other one we'll get to that I like the lyrics on. I've got, I've kind of got a top three lyrically, and this one would be in my lyrical top three. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the actual chorus? I think the chorus, first of all, I mean, it's iconic in metal music. Mm-hmm. Actually, when Metallica plays the song live and they get to that chorus, Hetfield lets the audience scream the master, master part. It's a real crowd pleaser. Huh. Yeah. Master of puppets, I'm pulling your strings twisting your mind and smashing your dreams 
I don't want to call that certified poetry, but it is just kind of blunt in a way that really like draws attention to how out of your own control the situation would be. Everything sounds really bleak if your mind is twisted and your dreams are smashed. And it, it also illustrates this kind of dependence, right? Call my name because I'll hear you scream. Whatever you're going through, just, you know, come to me. I've got you covered. I'll, I'll take care of you. In this like creepy, overbearing way. I think one of the most real and brutal like moments in the song is that verse two chop your breakfast on a mirror that line i'll give certified poetry to even though it's i agree that line's pretty good but i also really like the way they say pain monopoly ritual misery yes yeah right before it we always do this one of us always picks a line and then the other one always goes yeah but look at the one before or after it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i actually so an interesting that happens uh, I don't even two thirds of the way through the song. I guess it's a long song. It's eight and a half minutes. They hit a big instrumental break where they sl- really slow it down, and it's like a, almost a whole different song that they just inject into the middle of this one. <laughs> inject is an interesting choice of words, but yes, in a song about drug addiction, it uh, is well, rather injected in there. But it's like you could remove that out because it like it doesn't even really match like anything that's coming. Like you don't hear any notes of the other parts of the song kind of in it. It's like its own separate section that you could completely pull out and make its own thing yeah that's very true and there's a couple other times they do that i mean i noticed Mm -hmm. it a lot on stuff like orion uh there there are segments that you can switch around and i think that variation is really important if you're going to create an eight and a half minute saga and try and have it be you know not insufferable yeah well you need that little breath of fresh air in the middle they do you know they vary in their success on making it not insufferable but (laughs) (laughs) they do well i think master of puppets is one that it is better on no yeah i like master of puppets it's it's a good song yeah track three is the thing that should not be i want to start off this track by saying i quite enjoyed the faint cymbal crashing in the background at the start of the song oh what a thing to pick up on as the song's going you know you got the guitar and the drums and then in the back you just kind of hear happening and it's great yeah, it is. It's very subtle, but but very important. The Thing That Should Not Be is one of several of Metallica's songs that references Cthulhu. Yes. It kind of presents this Lovecraftian dystopian beast that comes to destroy everything and is very rooted in mythology mm-hmm. and like fantastic elements like that. Uh, there's several they, This entire song is rooted in that. Like you said, you got Cthulhu in there. Verse one ref- references uh, the shadow over Innsmouth, which is like a creepy mythological tale. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of them just in here. Yeah, the great old one searching the hunter of the shadows is rising Mm-hmm. It's foreboding, and I love the way that they use a lot of musical parallels to illustrate that. You know, they talk about it rising from the sea, and uh, every time they do that, they use these little half-step increments as the, the pitch increases to kind of imitate and emulate this rise. It's very cool, and then they, they take that rising and they take it back underground in verse 2. It switches around. Mm-hmm. They really nailed their guitar solos. I think if there's one takeaway from listening to a Metallica album is... How good they are at their guitar solos. Yes. I thought I made that note too. Is this a wild guitar solo on this one? It's yeah. perfect for this song. Like every single one is unique and different and like stands on its own. Even though a lot of the songs themselves get to be a bit samey and kind of bleed together in terms of their sound. That's a good point. If you were just to take a random like cross section of any one of these songs, you might not be able to pick out which one it is. If you were to take a random guitar solo from one of these songs. You could pick it out. Almost certainly you Mm -hmm. can place exactly where it goes. And that's a tough thing to do. It is. But also by the end of this song, we're approximately 20 minutes into this album already on track three. (laughs) And uh, I'm starting to get a little bored of the album at this point. Yeah. Yeah. That's understandable. This song especially has a lot, a lot of repeated themes, musical motifs, and lyrics. Mm -hmm. Like it's very blocky, very segmented. I think the thing that should not be is the song that is the most guilty of not mixing things up enough i agree out of these eight it's the samiest but they luckily save themselves with the next track oh my goodness yes welcome home sanitarium so i my first note in this one was i like the start of this song but they usually start the songs off uniquely and then by the time they hit the main body of the song it all starts to bleed together but boy do they not do that on this one no this one definitely starts uh in a way different tone than everything so far. Yeah. Welcome Home Sanitarium is a song about someone being mentally abused while there in an insane asylum. And it's based on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, Nurse Ratchet. Now, 
we just recently had a similar song based on this book and movie. Is there any chance that you remember which one? Any chance? Sure, there's always a chance. Yeah, how big is the chance? <laughs> uh, basically non-existent. With the title Welcome Home should maybe jog your brain. Wait, wait, wait. I'm tickling a memory. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. It's gone. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you are a fake fan. Wait. This is... Wait. No, it's gone. <laughs> the song I'm talking about is Take Me Home by Phil Collins. Oh, no. Oh, no. That one's also, remember, because we talked about how people thought it was about him actually going back home because that was what the music video was, but it was supposed to be someone getting out of the sanitarium. Yes, that's right. Well, you're 0 for 1 on that game today, and unfortunately, that's the only round you'll be playing. <laughs> Uh-oh. No, that's fortunate because I didn't want the score to get worse. I'm bad at that game. It can't get worse than zero. You could have only improved. Well, you know, I could have been in a bigger deficit. A worse zero. Yeah. I really like the instrumentals on this song as well. Oh, the echoey guitar? Yeah, they give me strong Nothing Else Matters vibes. Okay, well, that's good. That's the song you like. Yeah. Is that the other Metallica song that you know? You've only, you've only talked about it five times. No, I've talked about I've talked about a couple others. I know. In fact, let me see. How many of them can I list off the top of my head? Nothing Else Matters, Inter Sandman, Fade the Black, A New Master of Puppets, uh... That's probably about it. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a good handful. I do. I do love his softer vocal here. It's not got as much grit to it, and it really makes the first verse stand out and gives us a lot of context for how we're supposed to feel going into this story. You know, it's not supposed to immediately make us mad like Master of Puppets. It's not supposed to immediately amp us up like Battery. This one's supposed to just kind of flow, ebb and flow in there, like welcome to where time stands still. It's, it's just softer. You know, we kind of get a sense of where we are. But then, I gotta say, one of the best moments on this song and one of the stronger chorus, as you would say, chorus hits on this album happens on Sanitarium where they take Santa and they lean heavy into the hook with that and then Terium comes down really hard. I love that. Yeah, it's good. It's solid, very solid. This is another song, I think, where the lyrics, they're not as choppy as they have been on past songs. And this is another one that would be in my lyrical top three. Mm-hmm, correct. I like the line on the outro, kill, it's such a friendly word. Yeah, seems the only way for reaching out again. The, again, that mood they're trying to put you in, that headspace they're trying to put you in, that's a good line for that. Mm, very much. The last song in my lyrical top three is probably the next one, Disposable Heroes. I like this one. Well, I like and I don't like this song for different reasons. Uh-huh. I would I'd be really weird if you liked and didn't like it for the same reasons. <laughs> so for me it's an insanely fast song first off it is actually some sections of this song even get up to 220 beats per minute yeah which is sounds like this nice it's pretty fast and for comparison uh the average heavy metal song has between 100 and 160 bpm so you know this is like double sometimes more than double yeah <laughs> Yeah. So it does come in fast, but I also I love that they're not afraid to change that tempo and slow it down for a turnaround mm -hmm. or to create a really dramatic effect. They're they don't walk themselves into that 220 despite using that tempo to ramp it up. Disposable Heroes is an anti-war song told from the perspective of a soldier who's constantly ordered to get back to the front by his superior. He starts to realize that to the people in power they're all just disposable. You know, their lives are spent, and for what? And thematically, it reminded me a lot of Pink Floyd's Us and Them. Mm. But, like, wow, could they not be more different songs musically? Yeah, right? <laughs> very fast song versus, like, a very drawn-out, slow song. Very different. You could fit, like, the entire first verse of this song in the time it took Pink Floyd to say the word us. Us <laughs> and them. So slow. <laughs> The pre-chorus in this song is probably the lyrical highlight on the album for me. Oh, yeah. It oh, is so yeah. good. Soldier Boy, Made of Clay, Now an Empty Shell, 21, Only Son, Buddy Served as Well. That is so good. Like, where was that on the rest of the album? Yeah. Well, and then we get the, the picture of the boy who's Now an Empty Shell finished 
greeting death he's yours to take away like we just we live his whole life in that quick little pre-chorus it's so good and then they just ruin it with the chorus the chorus sucks in my opinion oh my goodness you don't like back to the front and i did not care for back to the front oh i think that was one of the more memorable points on this album no. because that's the i know it gets repeated a lot and i know that's a sticking point it's for not you. even that i mean it is but it's not only that <laughs> <laughs> It's like from the minute I heard it the first time, like the pre-chorus is a way catchier and more powerful chorus than the actual choruses, in my opinion. Yeah. And they repeat it too. And I'm glad when they repeat it, they said they could have just left that as the chorus. I did not care for the back to front. Like the, you will die when I say you die. You will do what I say when I say like all that. I just, I did not care for any of that. Interesting. You know, maybe that's because it's a little more blunt. You know, we kind of lose a lot of the the pageantry. It's just, I think, also part of the way they say it. Like, you will do what I say when I say, like, what a nonsense line. That's not nonsense. I mean, it's not nonsense in the sense that it's just, it could have easily just said, you will do what I say. You didn't need the when I say part. Well, I think the when I say in you will do what I say when I say plays very well with you will die when I say you must die. They kind of, they bounce back and forth off of each other. Yeah, that line's even clunkier. Well, but the whole point is that you're, it's barking orders at you. Yeah, but you could just said you will die when I say to die or something like that. Like, you know how it's clunky that I when I say you must die gets clunky. But then you lose the imperative of must. Like, the dying is is necessary. It's inevitable. Get out there and just do it, you know? Yeah, the whole course... Not for me. Mm. Track six is where we're headed next, and we're well on our way to the end of this album. Leper Messiah. But we're still got like 20 minutes to go. We still have, <laughs> yeah, a good long ways. A good long ways. Leper Messiah is, as you might guess based on the title, it's a song about corruption within organized religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lyrics tell the story of a preacher, the titular Leper Messiah, who draws in sick, suffering, and hurting people with all these flashy promises and, you know, they talk about like a circus carnival barker. Mm-hmm. He brings everyone in just to take advantage of them for his own benefit. Specifically, Hetfield says that Leper Messiah deals with how people bow to TV preachers and they send all their money away. Well, because, you know, in religious history and things like that, like lepers were always something to avoid as well. But like messiahs were like, yeah, were like, oh, you know, flock to the Messiah, they'll save you sort of thing. So, like, to put those two things together is an interesting contrast, I guess. Yeah, and I guess it's never really specifically made clear whether this preacher is proclaiming to be a Messiah that is a leper, you know, someone who's outcast that's come back to save, quote-unquote, save everybody, or whether it's a Messiah meant for lepers, people who have been outcast is someone going to them and saying, look at me, come give me all your money and I can fix you. Now, I think it's meant to be he's... He's a leper and therefore should be avoided. Okay. Uh, he should be cast out. Like he's someone who was cast out because of his false preachings, maybe, but continues to kind of spread. Because he says right there in the pre-course, please plead spread his disease. Yeah. Like he's trying to get you to go out there and spread the lies he's telling. I don't know. Yeah. I've always thought of it more of the second way where he promises to like take care of all the lepers all the people that are outcast and sick and and that's how he lures them in you know you don't have anyone else so come to me and the more you give the better seat you'll get you know the more i can do for you the more you do for me maybe it's a little column a little column b thing because if you were a leper yourself and been cast out you, the, who would you be around to continue preaching towards other yeah, other lepers, other lepers. You know, maybe maybe it's a little column yeah. a column b situation in Metallica, which column is this in? If you're listening. Is it column A, column B, or column AB? Yeah, that's both of them. <laughs> Some strong buffoonery to start the lyrics off on this song, in my opinion. I was, yeah, there's a few of them in here. I was mostly starting on the chorus. Send me money, send me green, heaven you will meet. It feels a little too on the nose. It's not the only time on this album either that they're too on the nose with their lyrics, mm-hmm. but that one feels a little undercooked. Well, and you get a bit Yoda-y in the pre-chorus there with Suffer for His Glory, You Will. It's a bit... Okay, yeah, you're right. Get a bit of a Yoda moment. (laughs) The syntax reversed it is. (laughs) And once again, somehow the pre-chorus is catchier than the chorus, in my opinion. The please, please spread his disease is way catchier than Time for Lust, Time for Lie for me. And then, too, I mean, the first verse is fine. It is. But then later on, we get back into that broken up. Marvel at his tricks, need your Sunday fix, these quick little fragments of ideas. Yeah. It's so interesting you pointed that out because I've never really thought of it before and now I can't unthink it. Mm-hmm. I can't, I've always like 
I guess subconsciously been aware of it, but now it's bugging me. Yep. And then it ends, of course, with a, a classic lie, 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 which again, little on the nose. But that brings us into an instrumental. <laughs> yes, as heralded by your classic uh, Yelp of instrumental. That's how we know. <laughs> it's more of a Yelp. It was kind of Yelpy. A Yelp would be like instrumental. You could do that too. <laughs> Orion is the third instrumental that Metallica ever released. Two of the four songs solos on this one belong to Cliff Burton and his bass. And remember how we talked about his extensive use of the wah-wah pedal? You can hear it on the song if you know what to listen for. This is actually because of that. It's Cliff Burton's second favorite song from the record, only behind Master of Puppets. It's a good one. It's a long instrumental first off. (laughs) Yeah, the longest we've talked about for sure. And one of the better ones, I think. Just in terms of like its musical acumen, you know, its its mm-hmm. innate musicality, it's certainly up there. Yeah. Unfortunately for this song, with all the similar sounding long instrumental breaks you get on all the other songs, this doesn't really stand out as much as it could have. It kind of, yeah, it, it fades into the background a little bit. A caveat on that, that changes as you go through the song. Again, it's a long song. Oh, yeah. Eight and a half minutes, basically. It does continue to show off how phenomenal they are at guitaring. At guitaring, yes. And, but, you know, they should have ended the song at the four minute mark and faded out on the cymbal crash, in my opinion. Really? Simply so that the next section could be its own song. You wanted the second section to be its own thing. Yeah, because it's way different and way better than the first four minutes you have to go suffer through in order to get to suffer. it. Suffer? You, you're suffering through an instrumental. Ah, uh, maybe suffer was a bit harsh. But... <laughs> I was going to say. The middle part of the song is actually really popular. Uh, James Hetfield has a mm-hmm. tattoo of a musical staff with the notes for that bass part in the middle tattooed on it. Mm, so good. And like, yeah, like I said, listening to that bass just nail those rising and falling scales in the background. It adds some depth to the song that you don't get a lot of on other songs. Yeah. And then there's some really fun guitar riffs around the six minute, 30 second mark. Absolutely. Yeah. By the time you get all the way there, you're you're craving it. Yeah. But then that last minute, they revert back to the first half. And like I said, just no. You didn't think that was good for continuity's sake? Well, it's good enough for continuity's sake. But if they had done what I wanted and cut it out as its own thing, it wouldn't have been necessary for continuity's sake. Yeah, man. Where were you in 1986? You should have told them. Absolutely. If only. If only. (laughs) (laughs) What might have been? They're hiring you to be their honey PR person. They should yeah. hire me to be their retroactive songwriting person. HR, honey resources. <laughs> I love the placement of Orion too. I think if you tried to, just as a as a mind experiment, I think if I tried to move Orion somewhere else on this album, it would kind of crash. Leper Messiah coming after Orion really undermines it. Mm-hmm. Closing the album with it is a no-go. Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, right where it is is about the perfect spot. Yeah. So hats off to them for that decision. I nailed it. And I also think they nailed the final track placement. Do you think? Well, it's definitely the best song to end the album. Damage Inc. is the last song on the record. Mm-hmm. And it's a dystopian song, another dystopian song, <laughs> about a corrupt corporation that's exploiting people, abusing workers, and just generally kind of the worst. Been on the nose to call your corrupt organization Damage Inc. But... <laughs> <laughs> My note verbatim says Damage Inc. as a name feels a little on the nose, but what do I know? Yeah, glad we had the same thought. I, I'm okay with this song. Like I said, I think this is a good song to end the album. Out of this handful here, these eight tracks, Damage Inc. is the one that's going to end it, but it's not my favorite. Really? So this is this is going to be your Disposable Heroes then, because I really liked Damage Inc. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I uh, really like all the reverb and volume swells they do in the intro. I nail them. I, I, I would say guitar riffs, like guitar solos and the way they start songs are like the two things they do best on this album Mm -hmm. unfortunately a lot of those good intros they can't keep the ball rolling but on this one i think they do i like it and the whispers at the end of the choruses chef's kiss great little touch it's interesting that you mentioned that that intro that is the bass intro it's got 12 different layered bass tracks so it is big it is intense worth it yeah but yeah the way they like do the uh whispered damage incorporated at the end of the chorus perfect it is it is it's just a lot of the other lyrics feel a little dramatic we'll get to it in my lyric score but i think this song is one that leans a little too heavily on its concept i like this one i guess too lyrically because it's not got that broken up lyrical structure it, it's got a more fleshed out lyrical structure but maybe that was biasing me a little bit <laughs> I don't know. I don't mind a heavy-handed, you know, leaning into the concept. There's a time and a place for that, and I think this is an okay time and place. <laughs> well, okay. Guess, guess it is. Uh, this is also, in my opinion, probably the song that features the drums the best. Mmm. I-, I liked the drums on this song. 
I have to go back and listen to the... I've listened to this album like five times in the last two or three days just to get ready for the episode. <laughs> but I haven't really focused on the drums much. I'll have to go back and listen and see if I agree with that. I'm interested to find out. But it, it seems to be true. And then they give you one last shredded guitar solo to wrap up the album. They sure do. Just a, a good little send-off, you know? Exactly. And uh, it's time for our good little send-off. <laughs> yeah, Final, final spin. spin. Okay, Um, playlist picks. I'm, once again... Just I've shot myself in the foot the most by picking first because I need to make sure that Master of Puppets is on the playlist. And so I feel compelled. What would be your second pick? My second pick, Sanitarium, maybe, or Battery. Okay. Well, in that case, I think you're safe with what you're doing because I would say Master of Puppets and Sanitarium are my two. Oh, okay. Well, there's your playlist. There's our playlist. It's kind of a shame to ditch Battery, but as you mentioned, I mean, Battery is a lot of buzzwords and high energy. The music is good on Battery, but I think if we're going to dig into what this album's really about, it's definitely, I mean, you got to go a different direction than Battery. So Master of Puppets and Welcome Home, aka Sanitarium. Yep. I'm for it. I'm for it. What a dystopian album. <laughs> Like, it really kind of touches all the gritty, dirty, dark areas of the human experience from the big picture degradation of humanity through corporations and, like, religious corruption to total destruction through war and the rise of a Lovecraftian thing that should not be. And then we get the smaller, like, more personal level. We have, like, the horrors of mental abuse and sanitarium, drug addiction and Master of Puppets. This album is one that really never, never lets you come up for air. And I think uh, that'll play strongly into its vibe score. Musically. Now, I need to preface musically by saying what, what I would normally put in the instrumental score went into music on this album. Because there are so many great guitar solos and instrumental moments and, and things like that that are the composition of the songs. Like... Normally, I would put it in instrumental because it's their their technical playing ability that's very impressive. But in this case, I think I decided to put it in music because they're way more compositional. You know, they're not just flair that they put onto it. It's actually like core pieces of each song's building blocks. So keep that in mind when we get to my instrument and production score. A lot of that number went into music. Musically, this album doesn't let up. It's prime thrash metal. I love the totality of it. The guitar solos are masterful. The bass is innovative. These songs are really long-form romps that I don't think, honestly, really overstay their welcome. I know there are some that kind of get a little long. I'm looking at you, the thing that should not be. <laughs> you should not be that long. <laughs> the thing that should not be is <laughs> 6 minutes and 30 seconds. But they do a good enough job at, at varying things, mixing things up, and keeping it interesting so that I'm engaged through the whole album. I'm giving music an 87. Lyrically, this album is dark. Dark, dark, dark. Not a shred of hope here. And it's a uniquely metal perspective in a lot of ways. Some of these songs are so well crafted, you know, uh, Master Puppets, Disposable Heroes, Sanitarium, and those metaphors are going to land every single time. Other songs, though, just don't scratch the lyrical itch. Like The Thing That Should Not Be is a little gimmicky. Damage Inc. Those ones in particular just, they don't bring enough new content to the table lyrically as much as they just use buzzwords and like little things just to provoke you. And they lean heavy on oh, this is a Cthulhu song, or this is a corporation song, and they don't ever really, like, uh, dig into that much. Whereas something like Sanitarium or Master of Puppets really digs deep and explores the horrors of, like, drug addiction. The other one is just like, you know, ah, we're a corporation, we'll kill you. Eh. Now you talked about their lyrical structure being disjointed sometimes. I think lyrics are getting an 81. That's a bit high, but all right. Well, the, I think the good outweighs the bad in a lot of spots. Production is, I think, my hottest take. Like I said, tons of instrumental talent, but in this case, I think the production on this album takes a bit of a hit. I think this album is 54 minutes of really, really, really crisp production. It's really crackly, it's really clean, it's really high-end, right? I think it's missing a lot of the low-end stuff. I just I always wanted to drive home more, but it never quite gets there because we're always so distorted and, and fuzzy, and it's long, it's a long album. They vary it up a lot with the music, but the production feels really samey. If you're not with it from the start, this album's going to be a long one for you to listen to and try and get through. Not to mention, they're good at the instruments that they play, but that's what they play. You know, these four members have their four instruments, and that's it on every song. They're not out here like the Beach Boys, you know, trying to find new ways to use instruments or incorporating unusual sounds or anything. It is kind of what it is. So instruments of production, again, with the caveat that this is mostly just a production score this time, is a 77. And the vibe, I mean, phenomenal. Iconic. 
So iconic, it literally kickstarted a subgenre. From the cover art to the closing notes, I feel like you're hooked. You're in it. And it never once lets you up for air. It shocks you, it thrills you, it excites you, and they really give it their all the entire time. I'm giving Vibe a 90. So, that makes my overall score an 85.8, putting it at number 192 on the list at the moment. So I guess for me, I'm going to agree with a lot of what you said, but give it a completely different score. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you better give it a completely different score. An 85.8 from you would be absurd. <laughs> Very samey in sound. Lyrics choppy a lot of the times. Just overall, it's a, not a bad album. It's it sticks to its theme very well. It's got that classic heavy metal sound if that's something you're into. Uh, and if you're into it, don't worry. Like I said, it's very Sammy sounding, so you're gonna get plenty of it. Uh, <laughs> but there are a couple highlights in there for people who want something slightly different, like your sanitariums and your second half of Orion. Uh, <laughs> I kind of already spoiled part of my top. This is my last week. I have to redact my honorable mention as well. Yeah, you're finally out of the Barry Manilow phase where you picked way too many tops. Uh, not enough. So my top three in album order, Master of Puppets, Welcome Home Sanitarium, and Damage Inc. Good top three. With a redacted honorable mention. And I guess for a score, I'm going to give this one six unmoshing penguins out of ten for me. <laughs> six un- out of the 300 penguins only six of them didn't get in that mosh pit well i don't think any of them really got in the mosh pit from the sounds of it but six of them in particular really did not want to mosh okay they were waddling <laughs> away already S- six wow that, that kind of surprises me a little bit really where'd you think it was gonna go kind of well uh, the more that i think about it maybe not okay at first it was shocking but yeah it was just once the initial shock wore off i was like okay that makes sense where in your sixes is it going? Right above Coloring Book. Okay. Right below Apoptosis. And about like four below Permanent Vacation. Okay, well, yeah, we were a little different on this one. Not as different as our last two episodes where we've been starkly divided. Yeah. We are going through a bit of a divisive phase here. But yet, like, we're agreeing with one another a lot. We're just ranking them very differently. <laughs> it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, we're saying all the same things that we liked and didn't like, but it just, I guess, weighs out differently. Which is a proof that our scoring systems are unique. And you know what else is unique? Next week's episode. Doing another singles. One more chance to submit your singles for the singles episode. May 13th is the last day to submit. So if you're listening to this right now on the day it came out and you haven't submitted, go submit the website, socials, YouTube comments, anywhere. Anywhere and everywhere. Get us those submissions. And we will see you next week for a special singles episode. Until then, you can catch us on the web, on Twitter at SpinItPod, on Instagram at SpinItPodOfficial, and at our website at www.spinitpod.com. So we'll see you next week, and until then, keep spinning. Keep on spinning. Don't mind me, I'm off to go get the art department to commission a custom mixtape or toilet. Oh, oh no. <laughs> That's an awful idea. Maybe the best idea we've ever had. It's actually kind of fitting, because he's so full of... Me.